It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Robert Mack, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. So excited to be here, my friend. Thank you for having me. Happiness from the inside. Yes. What does that mean to you? Yeah, so it means um, enjoying all of life and everything and everybody that you want to enjoy and enjoying all of that without attachment, right? So it's like recognizing and realizing that the source of what you truly want, which is happiness, you know, no matter what we want to achieve, accomplish or acquire, we're really after a feeling called that, maybe a state of being. And that feeling and or state of being is something that comes um, from within you um, and it comes through you. So lots of good reasons out there in the world to feel happy and lots of things that people can encourage you to be happy. But at the end of the day, only you can make yourself happy. And it's a great name for a book. And so good, in fact, that that is the name of one of your two books, <laughs> which I, I just finished uh, last night and some, or some this morning as well. I always like to get it fresh in my mind so I can really get a good feeling of who I'm talking to. And I've got a shout out to Glenn Marsden, who made the connection between the two of us from the Perfectly Imper- Imperfect uh, project as well. So big shout out to you, Glenn. Thank you very much. Uh, Robert, you've come into my life and uh, impacted it in such a profound way. And, and I've found myself like eagerly looking forward to our next interaction because of the, the joy and the, the, um, the, ha- the happiness. And it makes so much sense. What, what is it that what you do for people that have never heard of you? Yeah. So it's a great question. And just so you know, first of all, love Glenn. Second of all, brother, love you. Like every time I connect, I feel that exact same way. It's like we're brothers from another mother. It's incredible to me. I just feel like inspired and excited. And I talk to lots of people every day, but I'm always so excited to interact with you. So just thank you so much for that. Um, Yeah, so I work really as a happiness coach. I'm a positive psychology expert. Positive psychology is the science of happiness. It really developed out of Martin Seligman's work at the University of Pennsylvania. Basically found that you could remove all the weaknesses and mental dysfunction, psychological and emotional illness from folks, and you still wouldn't get a happy, thriving individual, you just get a flatlining one, right? So I really talk to people every day about ways to live happier lives from the inside out. And as a result of that, they therefore also live more successful lives as well, right? So happiness is sort of this cheat code or master key to being more successful in all areas of your life. 
Well, why do you think people seem to struggle, at least in my experience, seem to struggle so much with being okay with being more happy? You know, it's a great question. I think part of it is evolutionary, right? So the human brain is a phenomenal problem-solving instrument, but it's also just as much of a troublemaker, right? So the human brain is designed to keep us alive, not necessarily to keep us happy. Although if we stay alive, the chances of being happy, at least in these bodies, are is a lot better, <laughs> right? So it's good. We, want, we, we love that. But, you know, it comes, we're born with sort of all these biases, these cognitive biases, kind of confirmation bias, negativity bias, self-serving bias, all these things. And some of them get in the way of our happiness. There's that. There's, um, so we call that sort of uh, nature. There's also nurture, right? We grow up in a society where most folks aren't truly deeply happy from the inside out. And instead, they're trying to route their happiness through other pe- people, other things, other places, other activities, right? So, and they're never really finding that deep, lasting, meaningful, and abiding fulfillment that they're after. And so they unknowingly, unwittingly coach us, train us to do the same thing, right? So we receive all these messages from society and parents and priests and philosophers and poets that kind of encourage us, if not compel us, to look for happiness in places and people and things where it doesn't exist, where it can exist. Um, so there's that piece. And then, of course, we double down because we begin practicing these inherited thoughts and beliefs that we've received from other people, we begin to practice them and we actually sort of wire our brain or rewire in our brain in a way that only deepens uh, the unhappiness and the external sort of chasing of things and people and places and activities. Um, so that's kind of the problem. It kind of becomes compounded very quickly, um, but it starts with the brain that's set up to solve problems and to find problems to solve. If it can't find them, it will create them in order to solve the problems. Um, and that's just compounded by, you know, social and cultural programming. Yeah, and a great answer, Robert. I, I um, In reading your book, you were talking about uh, there was lots of ideas, but one of them was around you personally stay away from watching news and watching really much TV in general. And I, I suppose the thought that I have a lot recently uh, is, like, Where's the balance between staying informed with what I need to know to preserve my life technically versus just living my life and not worrying about the other stuff that's going on in the world? Gosh, I love that so much. And just real quick, I got to call out this jacket because it's fire. <laughs> it's fire <laughs> jacket. The blazer is just killing it. Um, it's a great look, I'm telling you. Um, really is. And great question. You know, um, Denzel Washington had a great quote, you know, the actor. He said, you know, if you, um, watch the news, you're misinformed. If you don't watch the news, you're uninformed. You know, what to do about that kind of thing. And that's what I hear in this question. You know, the one thing I've discovered, my friend, is that no matter how hard I try, I can't avoid hearing about what's going on in the world because all of my friends and family members and clients and colleagues will let me know, even if I tell them, hey, I'm good. I'm good on hearing about all the world's misery. If there's something I can do about it, if there's something I can control or in some way I can help, let me know. Um, otherwise I'm good. Still, you hear about it, you can't avoid it. So I find that I'm rarely, if ever, left out of any news cycle, um, but it doesn't impact me in the same way. You know, something about hearing it from another person, sort of secondhand, you just get in bits and pieces. It's a lot easier to digest and I don't find myself lost and consumed by it. I'm also different. I knew that as a kid, I was a bit of an empath. I suffered a great deal. In fact, I was depressed and suicidal for a long, long time. And a huge part of that reason is because I would hear about these stories all over the world. 
people that were suffering, next door neighbors, people in other countries, other parts of the world. And I just felt their pain and their suffering. And I just didn't want to deal with any of it. And I just didn't see any way of escaping it. Um, so for that reason, I decided that I needed to be very selective and intentional about what information I consumed and turning up the news, turning off lots of TV, other forms of media and entertainment was very helpful for me in my journey. Yeah, that's great. That's a great answer. And, and do you think once an empath, always an empath? Or do you think you can dial it up or dial it down? Oh, that's a great question. Boy, you've done this before, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I've never asked that question before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. I mean, I would say that you can, um, what you can do is you can become a little or a lot better at not being consumed by other people's thoughts, feelings, and emotions and perceptions, you know, like you can doubt, you can doubt in and doubt out on that. Um, and yet I think I would say that as you continue to evolve, you can do it in a way that doesn't make you less empathetic. That doesn't make you care less for people. You just sort of begin to understand that if you, if someone out there is drowning and really suffering or really miserable, you can't help them by drowning with them. You can't help them by suffering with them. You can't help them by being miserable or depressed with them. You have to sort of be beyond the need of help in order to be truly helpful. So you're able to sort of occupy or exist in a place where you consistently know that all is well, even though appearances might testify to the opposite of that, right? So you learn to abide in that place and space where there are no problems and therefore you need no solutions, where there are, is no illness and therefore you, it needs no healing, you know, where there is no conflict. And so you don't need to seek out peace. You just sort of try to exist there consistently. Um, you don't do that mostly by thinking about the problems and reiterating them or reliving moments or pre-living moments. You do that mostly by practicing what I'll call the presence, um, the presence of God, source, spirit. It's just practicing the presence of perfect peace. Man, there's so many great points in there that I want to explore. Um, one of the one of the things I think about, Rob, is I've done a reasonable amount of traveling compared to your average North American, which I think 10% own a passport. I've done a lot, right? I think I've been to like 20-something countries. And, I, and I've lived in, I think, five or six countries now. I'm working out. And, and what that's afforded me is to be on the ground in places, hotspots like China, India, Colombia, uh, Cuba, places that that some place some people think about and they've heard about and they imagine what it's like, and then you go there and it's actually really cool, and you don't experience any of the negativity. You know, talk about Anna, my wife, being born in Russia. She grew up in Russia. Like <laughs> Russian people, despite what you hear on the news at the moment, are some of the nicest people I've ever met. Like once you once you get to know them, and and they once they bring you in, right? And uh, and so I, I've become sceptical of what I hear anywhere in the media and then I realise I've allowed myself to get sort of scooped back into it, even through alternate media. And recently I just I got out of half a dozen Telegram groups that I was in and I was like, oh, I feel so much better because it was all out of my control, right? You just nailed it. I mean, it's interesting. We call them availability entrepreneurs, at least I do. And availability entrepreneur basically takes advantage of a bias in the brain. There's a bias in the brain called the availability bias. Um, and the idea is that um, when really negative experiences are consistently brought to mind, 
and are recent in memory, we tend to overvalue uh, the truth and credibility in those uh, experiences. And it makes good sense because again, the brain is set up to look for threats and danger in order to protect you or keep you alive, right? So when you hear these kinds of negative things, especially about other people and other cultures and the people in other cultures, um, of course it feels um, very true and credible. And then you have the actual experience and you realize how wrong it was. You know, and so availability entrepreneurs often don't know they're doing that. And then on the other hand, a lot of them do specifically know they're doing that. And that's how they make a lot of money. That's what clickbait is to a large extent, you know, and just like clickbait, you click on the title of the article that just sounds so compelling and probably so negative. And then you get into their article and you're like, it's not that bad at all. Or the actual evidence here completely contradicts what the title suggested, right? And so I love those experiences. Um, I would say that uh, Byron Katie says it well, which is that, um, the worst thing that can happen to you in your life or on your deathbed is a belief. It's just a thought that you believe, right? And our thoughts are consistently wrong, you know? And I love being wrong, especially when I find that in the end, I'm happier for it or somebody else is happier for it, which is your right. experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a really, really great point. I'm, and that's, that's one of my mantras in life, Rob, is, is that I just want to know the truth, right? So that I can make an informed decision. I'm happy to know that, that, that something I believe uh, or, or that I is wrong is right if it means I can pivot and adjust, right? And that, that stemmed from uh, my health journey. I had a, an autoimmune disease for 17 years from like 19 until my mid-30s, which I was told was incurable by 20 different surgeons and doctors and experts and people that I put all my trust in. And I, and I was able to change it through a small dietary change and uh, and I was like, I was pissed that I was lied to. And I, I don't know that it was deliberate. I think it was just them regurgitating what they'd been told as fact. And so it's made me sort of hyper aware of other news. And then like there's so much, there's so much mistruth out in the world. Why do people love lying so much, do you think? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great point. You know, I think um sometimes that's all people know, right? So there's that piece. Um, the other piece is it's, um, becomes very addictive, right? So the more you practice something, the easier it is to practice and the easier it is to practice, the more you practice it, right? You literally get, you know, what wires together, fires together. It's neuroplastic, um, uh, sort of, um, term or a phrase that we use to explain the ways in which, um, sort of thoughts and feelings tend to attract more thoughts and feelings and experiences, right? So you've got that all going on. And also, I think there's some relief sometimes in playing out the worst case scenario. You know, people find a little, I've found some relief in that too. It's like, I'll play out the worst case scenario and I can, if I can make peace with that worst case scenario, I'll feel some relief about that. And so I won't be disappointed no matter what happens. I get that. There's value in that. Although I would also argue you, there are more constructive ways to live your life and happier ways and healthier ways and wealthier ways to live your life. And um, it's really true. You know, there's something else you said there. I just think this is fantastic, brother, which is like, you know, lots of things are true, but that's not a good reason to focus on them right? So if they're true and you can't control them. Why continue beating the drum of what's going wrong in your life or the world? It doesn't help at all. In fact, it makes things worse. The other thing is often things are true only because we beat the drum of them for so long to make them true. If you, for instance, wouldn't have been able to even consider that you were wrong, that you had been sold a bad bill of goods and there was a lie somewhere in there, you wouldn't have even explored or considered other alternative paths to being healthy. You would have thought that was a total impossibility. And as a result of that, you would not have discovered the remedy that you did that allowed you to overcome this autoimmune disorder that you had, 
It's, it's incredible, actually. It's incredible. And so um, there's a great, and you've probably heard this, I'm sure you're familiar with this expression in the scientific world, but um, the lack of evidence is not the evidence of lack, right? So in other words, just because the evidence isn't out there, or we haven't found the evidence to suggest that cancer has been or could be cured, uh, that AIDS has been or could be cured, that we could travel faster than the speed of light, whatever it is, just because the evidence isn't there yet doesn't mean the possibility doesn't exist and that it can't be done. And if you think mostly based on what has been done or what could be done, you're always going to live a life that is less than the one you could actually be living. Now we're talking. This is this is my kind of limitless thinking. I, I really <laughs> love, and, and I think this might be why you're going to get on so good. The um, the the amount of experience in my own life where I've just taken things as fact is like you know. Uh, now I'm I'm questioning, and I even brought on a guy, Flat Earth Dave, as a guest on the show recently, who who is puts his life, his children's life, that the world is flat. And I started, and I, and I love having these conversations with people to challenge my own belief systems and to test what's going on. It's a really fun exercise, and uh, I do it because I'm naturally really inquisitive, and uh, it's I think it's serving me well. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Um, so one of the, it's a friend of mine, therapist friend, good friend, and um, really an expert uh, therapist. And um, she, in the middle of the pandemic, she said, Rob, you know, there are lots of conspiracy theories going on, a whole lot of them. And I don't know the validity of any of them or all of them. Some of them might be spot on. Some of them might be entirely off. Um, lots of them sound ridiculous. And she said, let's do a podcast. And so I wasn't sure, neither of us were sure if we were really that dedicated to doing a podcast, but they said, let's explore it. And of course, she said, well, what, how do we frame this up? And the first thing I thought about, to your point, is confirmation bias. So most of us really dislike feeling inner turmoil, anxiety, stress. And that often happens as a result of entertaining two seemingly opposite thoughts or beliefs at the same time. So, you know, when you're told that um, effort will help your life a whole lot, but you also have to also appreciate effortlessness, for instance, that's a really hard thing to kind of embrace. How can I embrace both those things? It drives people nuts. They hate it. So what generally happens is that the brain will kick in and say, there's basically too much stress and anxiety here on the system. And we need to go in one direction or the other. And in order to do that, we need to rationalize in every way humanly possible. So we only see one side of this thing. But for the person who's experiencing that, they end up thinking the one side is the entire side, right? And so then what happens, of course, is once you begin and we're always kind of leaning into the confirmation bias without knowing it. But when you lean into it more and more, it's kind of like an algorithm on Instagram or on Amazon or whatever. You select that one product once or that one post once. And now all of a sudden you're seeing every post and every product show up that looks or reminds you of that initial one that you, you know, clicked on. Same thing happens with confirmation bias. You start to only see and believe and seek out information that confirms that confirmation bias, that initial original belief or thought that you had. So this happens over and over again. And one of the best things you can do in your life is to have an open mind, have an open heart and consider even seek out people, thoughts, opinions, beliefs, philosophies that actually contradict what you initially or originally believed. And you might come around to saying, you know what? I vetted it honestly and objectively. And still I can kind of see how my initial original belief makes more sense to me. Fine. But most folks really struggle to do that, especially when they're busy, especially when they're tired, when they're burnt out, maybe if they're not healthy. Um, so yeah, you make a phenomenal point. That one can't be overemphasized because a lot of the 
division and divisiveness you see in the world is a result of confirmation bias playing out over and over and over again in countless ways. Well, I've got another one for you, Rob, that's yes. just, come, just come to mind as well. And it's, it, I rely heavily on my intuition these days. And the more work I've done, the healthier I've gotten, the more reliable my instincts and my intuition has become. So I'm, there's a component of like, this feels like it's really not very good. Is it, is it confirmation bias or am I actually relying on my intuition? What have you found with your own experience in that area? Uh, I have struggled with that myself, my friend. I mean, we clearly are both thinkers and uh, probably like to analyze. I know I like to analyze a whole lot. I've always been over analytical. I get easily, quickly lost in discursive thought. And I've discovered, I mean, I really struggle with intuition. Like, is this intuition or is this just me being paranoid or whatever? The one thing I feel strongly about after like doing a lot of research around it, a lot of reading and a lot of self-exploration, quite frankly, and introspection is that, you know, if it doesn't feel like peace, it's probably more than likely not intuition. There's that. Um, Also, intuition often doesn't sound like you. It sounds like something that's deeper or wiser or more profound. So my intuition is strongest when I'm going for a run, usually when my body is tired, when my mind is even tired, maybe I've given up on solving the problem. I put the problem on the back burner and I'm doing something maybe relatively mindless. And then I'll get a download. And it's always like, whoa, it's first of all, usually pretty brief. It's a lot more incisive and concise than I'm used to kind of hearing on my own uh, accord. And it feels like peace inside, like, a, like it lands, there's, it's like it hits in a different way. Where, so I'd say that it's not of peace, it's not of God, or it's not of intuition. I would say that the best way to know if it's intuition is to get your human mind out of the way so divine wisdom can kind of flood through. And that takes a lot of practice um, just with stillness and silence. The more you can consistently sort of lean into stillness and silence for the joy of it alone, the more these downloads will come and then there won't be any mistaking it. Um, it does take some practice to cultivate the discernment that lets you know if it's intuition or not. But generally, if it's fear-based, it's not intuition. And that doesn't mean that intuition can't tell you that you should do X instead of Y. It just kind of hits differently. Um, so you make a great point here. It's a very difficult thing to sort out. And you can't sort it out with the human mind. It's something you feel from the spiritual heart, so to speak. Um, it's more of a guttural, visceral, sort of palpable experience of felt peace yeah yeah it's a complicated subject isn't it and we we are as humans you know being bombarded with with information and diet and stuff that didn't exist not that long ago so in the human and and as i've cleaned up my diet and i'm an avid runner as well and it's my meditation as well rob i really love it uh, my ability to be more empathetic, to comprehend data, like to, all of those good things has dramatically improved, but it's still a work in progress at times as well. And you're right about the fear. Like most of them are intuitive, positive responses. Like this person is a good person. This person is probably not someone I want to spend much time with. Oh, totally. And, and to that point, oh man, it's so good. You're getting me shivers, man. I get these soul shivers every time I connect with you. Uh, but especially every time <laughs> I feel a soul connection. And, you know, what's interesting, what you're saying is something I've discovered is that with intuition, what often happens too is intuition gives you an initial hit, you know? So if you've actually, Malcolm Gladwell speaks about it pretty eloquently um, in his book, um, Blink, speaks a little bit about it. Um, There's a deeper sort of dive we can all do. Um, But 
essentially what happens is you get an initial lightning flash, like do this, not that. It's more like just do this, not even necessarily not that, but it could be that too. And so you get this hit. And then what happens is the human mind gets in there and it starts to give you reasons for why you should do this or that, right? And so what happens, for instance, you meet somebody and say, oh, you should follow up with this person. Just follow up with them. And you, human mind gets in there and says, yeah, this could be a professional opportunity. You could make some money doing this, whatever. So you follow it up. It's all good. And then later what you discover is that maybe that didn't turn into a business or professional contact at all. Instead, it either became a really deeply meaningful personal one or it led you to someone else or something else that's even better or more interesting or more exciting for you. And so that's where the confusion often enters in is the human mind will tell you, you've got this intuitive hit for X, Y, or Z reason when really you got the intuitive hit for apples or oranges or, you know, blue water, right? Like for a reason that doesn't seem like it makes any sense to you at all. Um, so that's where the challenge comes in. You kind of have to trust that when you get that intuitive hit, um, you don't really know what it's for. And if you think it's for X, Y, and Z, you're got to be open to being wrong, but that doesn't mean that the intuitive hit is wrong. Yeah. I mean, brother, I mean, <laughs> it's so interesting. You uh, you so graciously shared some of the challenges you're experiencing with your experiencing depression and suicidal thoughts and a number of other things. Like to give to paint a picture, like your childhood. Usually, a lot of guests I've had on the podcast come from major traumatic experiences. What happened in your youth? Yeah, you know, um, it's interesting because I've heard so many stories of other people's um, childhoods that um, I mean can't really complain. That being said, I was suicidal, right? So some stuff was going on. I would say that the first thing is I remember my very first memories of being alive are memories of being deeply stressed out, anxious, and self-loathing. Just hated myself, man. I hated myself. I was always like a 12 out of 10 on anxiety. And then I thought as I got older, I'd grow out of it. You know, I thought, well, one day, hopefully I'll make friends and um, maybe I'll become a professional basketball player. That was always my dream. You know, maybe I'll have a girlfriend. That would be amazing. And, uh, you know, this will all turn around. But as I got older, it didn't happen, man. And part of that was because, one, an empath. So I felt everybody else's stress and anxiety and emotions all the time. I have the two most amazing parents and the two most amazing siblings a person could have. But it was a highly stressful, you know, childhood, man. We, like, we were struggling, you know, and uh, my parents did everything to just keep us afloat without letting us know. But often it was very, um, uh, you know, just a worrisome, stressful, anxious environment. My dad, an incredible um, man, was a disciplinarian, so I was scared to death of him. You know, I mean, he's the kindest, you know, biggest teddy bear ever. But as a kid, I was super scared. He was just trying to keep me off the streets and out of jail. I was a good kid, but he understood how quickly it could go sideways. So all of that combined with this sort of empath uh, sort of personality style that I had. And then on top of that, I was a deep thinker, like not always in healthy ways. I just had this existential anxiety and angst, right? So I don't know if you've had this experience, I'm sure you have, where you just sit some days and you think, why the heck are any of us put on this planet? Like, for what? Like, it's, it's madness. Like, I'm like, where's my rule book? Where's my guidebook? Like, how am I supposed to know how to live this life? I can't Google purpose. I can't, like, like what? And like, all these random strangers are a part of my life and I feel like I'm out of place with them. I feel ugly and, and stupid and I hated everything about myself. And I was like, wait, and then I'm going to work so hard to get all these people to love me. I'm going to try to love them. I'm going to work super hard, kill myself in order to make enough money just to pay the bills. And then wait, it's all going to be taken away from me, like one by one. Like I'm going to lose my brother and then my mom and then I'm going to lose my health and lose my money. And then I'm going to die and then go where? 
So I just remember thinking, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm good on this game called life. I'm ready to check out now. You know, I'll have to check and I'll go home. Like I was just ready to kill myself. So um, long story short, I started doing some research, decided I was going to um, kill myself. And, uh, you know, I got a kitchen knife stuck into my wrist. Still have the suicide test marks in there to this day. And something very strange happened, man. Like without anything in my external life conditions changing at all. So I had a good life at the time. Had a consulting job, incredible girlfriend, spoke five languages. She was beautiful, healthy. Well, everything was good. You know, two German cars, loved it. And I was still miserable. Dug this knife into my wrist. And without any of that changing, I felt more peace and joy and love than I had ever felt. And I felt it all for no good reason. No reason I could put my finger on. So I was like, okay, I'm going to postpone the suicide for like, I mean, at the time, man, it was like 10 minutes. <laughs> it was like not even 10 minutes. Wow. I was like, 10 minutes. So anyway, that 10 minutes stretched into several, you know, days. And now it's been decades later and my life has changed. Wow, man. <clears throat> That's really, really great. And we're, we're super grateful that you didn't because uh, you like you're a super humble dude. And, and uh, for those that are interested in learning more, like you've got an amazing Instagram page and a huge big following of people that are finding tremendous value in, in what you're doing and you, you've got great posts on there and it's very uplifting. And, and I think at a time in history, more than ever, we need people like you to be giving people the, the, the knowledge so that they can take back power and take back control of their own lives, right? Mm. Takes light to recognize light, brother. I fully received that, which I've had to work on. And I want to uh, fully reflect that back. Like, you know, um, I think especially for all people, um, but I would like to say, especially, you know, for men, you know, I mean, this kind of conversation isn't something that's been consistently or historically welcomed or celebrated among men, you know? So um, I feel especially grateful and humbled and honored to be a part of the conversation. And I just want to do everything I can to be of service to people in that way, man. Like I, you know, I could have gotten into a lot of businesses that would have made me a lot more money. I've even had more fun in lots of ways, but for me, there's nothing more meaningful than seeing other people happy, man. Like I just love it, you know? So um, yeah, thank you for saying that, but also thank you for encouraging me and people like me um, to continue doing what we can to make the world a better place. Well, I mean, you're welcome. And it's funny, you know, I got a, someone left a comment on YouTube the other day and I don't get too much hate mail because, I mean, my profile is just growing. I, you know, I think you're well over 100,000 people with your Instagram page, which is phenomenal effort. But my, um, this guy left this comment and one of the interviews, the interview that he left a comment on was a an amazing woman who was able to put bipolar disorder into full remission for more than two decades using uh, an animal-based diet, and and her story is remarkable. And 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 typically those kind of interviews do attract people that are dealing with those kind of issues, um, which has proven itself in the past. I don't know about this guy, but he he wrote on the he called me like uh, a super narcissistic. Uh, Super califrigilistic expelliarmus, <laughs> right? And um, and I, and I saw it, and and I got that pang of like, because I'm guessing you're very similar. Like, you know, what people think of us is none of our business, but it still affects us from time to time, right? And uh, and I sort of sat on it, and I thought, I'm going to start having some fun with this. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> this might be the wrong thing to say, but I just wrote, "Well, your mum loves my podcast." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
<laughs> I mean, what are you going to do, right? I love it. Oh, I love it. Well, humor is, I mean, look, and that's why, you know, I mean, the other thing, I just love to laugh, man. I love to laugh, you know. And um, this is where I think entertainment and comedians and just a great sense of humor can do things, even music, can do things that the greatest logic could never do. You know, it's like, that's fantastic, man. It's like so good. I just love that you leaned into that. It's so easy to personalize that. Okay. And the first rule really of psychology is 99% of all interactions and relationships are projection, just projection. So even when I'm like, Hey, you want a glass of water? It's not that I don't care about you. I do, but I was probably thirsty first, you know, yeah. and it's not about getting a glass of water. I'm going out, you know, refrigerator anyway, <laughs> right. Or whatever. Or I'm thinking, I hope this guy likes me. I hope this guy likes me. So let me go grab a glass of water. So that's the first thing is to not personalize because most people are just projecting their own stuff. The second thing, which you also did so well, is I just love that. It's like non-defensive, non-reactive, and also don't need to explain. We can get into this cycle of explaining. All of that just feeds the problem. If you resist resistance, you're just feeding the problem, right? And often people that come and make those kinds of comments are looking for a fight. They're looking for a fight. Their ego's looking for a fight, you know? And it is true, even though it's a cliche, cliches are cliches for a reason, right? Um, you know, we don't see... Um, we don't see the world, we see ourselves and we project it into the world. So there's that too. It's like, if you've got a lens that sees through a lens of narcissism, you're going to see that everywhere. If you have a lens of love, you just see that everywhere. Like I connect with you, I connect to somebody else. I'm, I, and I'm doing, I'm not doing it for anybody else. I'm selfish. I'll tell you now, I'm one of the most selfish people in the world because I like feeling good. So I don't want to wait till somebody else, you know, approves or accepts what I say, or they show up in the way that I need them to show up. It's like, screw all that. I just want to be happy. So I'm going to see the best in you for me. Because to do so or to not do that is to be miserable and maybe slip back in the depression and suicidal ideation. I'm good with that. I tried it. It didn't work for me. Um, so, yeah, man, I just love the way you respond with such grace and graciousness and humility and humor, man. Humor is just it's just so necessary. <laughs> well, man, I appreciate that a lot. And, and I would say that what you're doing being selfish is working, Right. Because being around you is, is a wonderfully uplifting experience. I'm not just saying this to blow smoke. It really is. It really is so great. And, and so many people I've met in my life, particularly growing up in New Zealand, particularly the mums, were martyring their happiness at the behest of the family. I think that's the right word. And they were never putting their own needs first. They were never seeking their own enjoyment. And as a result, many of them died miserable. It's, it's just a shame, you know. It is a shame. And, um, you know, I understand, you know, um, love has gotten a bad name, you know, happiness has gotten a bad name. And I think we misunderstand. I know I misunderstood it for a long time. I was a poster boy for misunderstanding love and happiness. And I'm not saying that I'm anywhere close to mastering any of those things, but I will tell you that I'm not where I used to be. Right. And we often think of love as sacrifice, you know, but we, but that's confounding love with sacrifice. Love is not sacrifice and sacrifice is not love. That doesn't mean occasionally, you don't make sacrifices. I mean, occasionally you don't make concessions, but they never feel like concessions. It never feels like a sacrifice, right? So it's kind of like price and value. We confound price and value. So let's say you see something super expensive. You assume that it's super valuable. That's not always true, right? And if that's the way you make decisions, you're screwed, right? Because you're going to only think the good stuff is super expensive and the cheap stuff is super, you know, um, invaluable or, or, or not valuable at all. So we want to be careful of that. You know, like when you don't, know the true value of something, you look to the price to tell you. People do the same thing with sacrifice. They're like, I don't know really how to vet for love. Let me see how much this person is giving up or sacrificing for me. But that's not it. You know, we know based on lots of research that the happier you are, 
the easier you are to get along with. And the more kind you are, the more charitable you are, um, the more generous you are. Mm-hmm. It just makes you a better, kinder, more generous, charitable person. So our happiness is our gift to the world. And that can be often hard to convince people of. But it's like, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of everybody, anybody else properly. You know, we think we're being loving and kind when we give from a place of emptiness or from a place of sacrifice. But all we're really doing is giving with strings attached. We're trying to get, we're trying to extract love from the other person. We don't see it that way. We think we're just being so kind, so generous, but just notice how you feel when you do it. You're like a little bit annoyed. They didn't say thank you. You know, they never did pay me back. They never did, you know, come see me when I was, it's like, you know, why did you do it in the first place? Did you only do it to get? Was it always quid pro quo? Was there always an expectation of reciprocity? Or did you do it from the overflow, right? So you nailed it, man. Like, I just love you making, you know, sort of calling that out because we can all find ourselves guilty of that at times. Well, I got a great example of that exact same thing, Rob. Last year, uh, so late t- 2021 was when my book came out, and I had three members of my family, a, an older half-brother, a younger, the youngest half-sister, and an auntie who I hadn't had any communication with for three years, a year and a half and three years sort of respectively. And, and I was like, is it selfish of me to not invite them, not to re- extend the olive branch apologize for anything I might have said that might have caused. And in here, I felt like it was them that had been the cause of the majority of it. And I had said some bad things as well, but like, whatever. So I sent three identical messages with each of their own names, obviously, saying, I'm sorry for whatever I said. I've got this book launch. I'd love for you to be there. I would feel terrible if you missed, you know, no one in my family barely finished college, let alone has published a book. And and for me, I thought it was a big deal, and it is a big deal. It is a big right? deal, <laughs> and and because uh, the book the book is was written to to help, right? And if they learned more about me, then it might help them in their own journeys, you know. And anyway, so all three of them responded, and none of them apologized back. And I was like losing it, and, and my wife Anna said, "Were you sending that?" With conditions attached, ah, you mother! So, so I sent another follow-up message saying, "I'm sorry, I sent the first one with conditions around, you know, if you want to show up, great, yeah, whatever." (laughs) And uh, and the younger sister showed up. The other two didn't, but I kind of got it off my chest, and I and I stopped spending expending any emotional energy focusing on them, right? And it freed me up magnificently. So that's. There's a good outcome for conditions, right? What a phenomenal story. I mean, that really drives that point home with an explanation mark. It really does because we often don't even know we're doing it. You know, like let somebody pull out in front of you in traffic, open the door for someone. Notice how annoying it is when they don't even say thank you. You Maybe you had 15 bags in your hand. They had nothing. And they just, you know, float right by you, go right in, door smacks you in the face. And you get, you know, and it's like, okay, check, let me check my heart. What was that about? Like, and it's okay. It's okay. If you, first of all, it's okay to feel whatever you feel. And it's also okay to say, you know what? I'm not in a place where I can hold the door or want to hold the door for someone who doesn't say thank you. Of course. I mean, if you're in a relationship and you're feeling that you're having that experience consistently, you're apologizing. They're never apologizing. You're doing things. They're never doing thing, things. It's okay. You can love that person from a distance even better. And you can also love yourself, you know, equally well. And so, yeah, it's important recognition to have because, and the whole point is we don't want to outsource our peace, our love, our happiness to other people, other things, other places, or other activities. It's like, be the source of that yourself and do it because it feels so good to you. Then you truly do 
find that in the giving is the reward. The giving is the getting. And then if they do reciprocate, if they say thank you, if they give you the apology that you're after, then it's icing on the cake. It's like, that's what's up. You know, I love it. It's just a consolation prize. I had the cake the whole time. But it's a better, happier, healthier, wealthier way to live. And also, it sort of puts you in a place where you're above circumstance. You know, it's not that things don't hurt, that you don't have your moments, but you can sort of reclaim your power. And, you know, when you point your finger and blame somebody or something for how you feel, you also disempower yourself to do something about it, right? So you're reclaiming your power around all that and saying, hey, um, maybe they didn't show up in the way that I thought or believed they should, but they showed up in the way that they thought and believed they should. And I can still show up in the way that I think and believe I should. So I can still be happy no matter what. Yeah, I love that so much, man. And uh, you've shared you've shared some amazing wisdom already. And I would love an opportunity for you to blow your own trumpet a little bit here. You've um, you've lived an extraordinary life. You've been endorsed by Oprah Winfrey, and you know your book was written uh, endorsed and the forward written by Vanessa Williams, who's like an amazing singer. Check check YouTube, check out her stuff. And a number of other amazing people. What what are some of the highlights from a celebrity point of view that you that you care to share? That something. Yeah. That's- oh, that's so that's a great question, man. I would say um. So of course um, you know, Vanessa Williams without question has been um such a generous, kind, um, loving person in my life. I have deep and infinite gratitude and love um for her. No question about it. And her entire family. So. I'll say that first and foremost. Um, so, you know, d- definitely her, you know, along the way, you know, you meet so many interesting people and um, they're all, um, the one thing I've discovered about people is that I'm consistently wrong about them. And that doesn't mean like in a bad way or a good way. It just means that like, you know, you, you meet them and you think um, they're so confident. They can't possibly have any problems. Of course they do. Whoever it is, you know, out there in the world <laughs> or, the, or the opposite, you know, they seem like such a mess on TV and you meet them and they're really like, I did um, a show on E for two years, famously single. Okay. It's, reality TV um, stars. So, you know, Polly D and Ronnie from Jersey Shore and, you know, um, all these really interesting people, you know, Callum Best. And, you know, um, what's fascinating is you meet these people and you assume that even with the best intentions and even trying to be as non-judgmental as you can, that they're reality stars, they only care about being famous, whatever. You get on there and you quickly discover how deep these people go. So I consistently have these experiences with people where they are so much deeper and so much richer inside that you could possibly imagine. And you can't necessarily get there right away because you know the challenge with celebrities and popular people and public figures is that they have trust issues, a lot of them, for rightfully so. You know, if they got if you got a lot of money, a lot of power, you can't really trust even your best friends half the time because you don't know what they're really after. Do they really like me or do they really like my money? Kind of thing. So that was a great highlight. I mean, being at the White House was fantastic. You know, I met the president, the Kennedys. I mean, that was just really incredible um, just to be sitting there and having drinks with, you know, those folks. So I've had lots of really, I did a morning show for a while. We would have um, somebody guest on there. Um, Yeah, it's just been uh, quite a journey and and one that you sort of never expect. I think the other thing that sort of surprises me is is that as much as I meet lots of these people through uh, friends or through professional endeavors, opportunities. I also sometimes just meet random people at random events that happen to be a celebrity or something like that. Right. And then you don't even have the time. I don't know. I don't say, again, I don't watch the news or as media or TV as much as I could. So you have start having a conversation and an hour later, you realize you're actually talking to someone who's super famous or super successful and you would never know it because they're so humble about it. Um, and also they like and enjoy just having a regular conversation with a regular mm-hmm. person and being treated like one. 
Yeah, it's uh, as I've <laughs> as I've uh, been growing in my journey of of reaching out to people that I idolized at times and and put on a pedestal and and um, I've been able to normalize more and more kicking around with with people that have of significance, right? And and I I don't know that there's many people on the planet now that would overwhelm me in from in terms of celebrity. And um, it's a fun experiment to try and just remain cool. <laughs> no, but they do get you from time to time. Um, and uh, they are happening more and more frequently. And I, that comment you made about celebrities, they need help as much as the next person. And that's been a real catalyst in terms of being able to connect with people because rather than going in with uh, what can I get from the celebrity or this this person who's successful, I think, what value can I add to this person's life? And I don't do that just with them. I do that with everyone that I meet, the checkout chick at the, you know, mega, the supermarket down here in Mexico, whatever, like, and that has served me better than anything. I feel that. That comes through with you consistently, man. It comes, like, the first time we ever met, it connected, it came through right away. It comes through every time we connect. I also believe in that, like, and you're right, um, it's both selfless and selfish. I enjoy it. That's the difference. I enjoy it. There was a time in my life when I was a lot younger and I would do it and I wasn't enjoying it. I was doing it only or primarily to get something. Now I do it and I enjoy it. And now the problem is I compliment. I mean, I find something about everyone to compliment. I will never lie to someone and tell them I like something or that I don't like ever, but I will always find something about everyone to bring to mind and to share with them. And I do it consistently. And of course, the only challenge with that is that everyone thinks or feels that you're their best friend. That's okay. I'm, I'm cool with that. But like you nailed it, which is that if you can just do it because it feels so darn good and you keep your motives pure around it, it's amazing how it exponentially enhances and increases, increases the wealth in your life in all ways, figuratively and literally. It's just incredible. Um, you know, it just is. I um, Real quick, one quick story I'll share with you that is slightly um, on topic. I was at a stoplight and uh, when I was living in the Valley in Los Angeles and I'm at a stoplight, I'm trying to get to the gym. So there was this across Sepulveda, which is several lanes. I was going to try and run across the light was turning, um, yellow, you know, and the walk sign was about to turn off and I was going to make a run for it. And this guy behind me said, and I stopped, I was like, Oh, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to try this guy behind me here. And says, Oh man, I thought you were going to go for it. And then he said, I, but then I saw you and I knew you were fast. So I wasn't going to go for it too. Ha ha ha. I knew I would get, get, you know, I would die. <laughs> I said, Oh, that's pretty funny. Blah, blah. So the light eventually turns. We walk, start walking across the street and I look over and he's talking to me. He's like, what's up, man? Where are you headed? I said, the gym. And I'm like, this guy looks familiar in my head. And he says, um, did I look familiar to you or something? I said, you kind of do look familiar. And he said, you know, a lot of people think um, I look like that guy, uh, Tom Arnold, but um, I'm much better looking at him, much better. Wouldn't you agree? And I was like, yeah, you know, you're a good looking guy, I guess, you know, whatever. So we keep talking, get to the end of the escalator, whatever, go up the escalator. I get to the gym. I said, Hey man, it was nice meeting you, blah, blah. I said, I'm Rob. What's your name? He's like, I'm Tom, Tom Arnold. <laughs> so you know, you have to be a little older to know who he is, but that was the greatest, kindest, most gracious sort of way of having a regular conversation as a regular person. He kind of kept it secret that he was a celebrity. And I think that he enjoyed, I know I enjoyed just having a regular conversation with someone who I found out later was like, you know, pretty popular. Um, but yeah, there's just humility in that, I think, of being of service, humility, and also just connecting with people in an authentic way. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, <laughs> Tom Arnold, haven't yeah. heard that name for a little while. Right? Yeah, it's been a minute. <laughs> there's um, 
some of some of the benefits have been this, Robin, and that you know we spoke about that journey of discovery with the, with the health stuff, right? What what does every person on the planet have in common, right? They they or someone they know very close to them is going through some kind of health issue without any shadow of any doubt. And so now I've got this added layer of knowledge and ability to serve and point out things because of my intuition and and the other stuff that I've had to endure in the five, six years of research and all the other stuff where I can, if it's requited, I can say, hey, if you're interested, I can introduce you to this person or, and I can say a few things that I can say with such uh, confidence that they they can tell that I know some of what I'm talking about. And that's been really amazing. I mean, I, I had a conversation with Jack Canfield on an interview at the end of it off, off camera, and he was asking my opinion about how to lose weight um, with what I'd done with my own health journey. And I got off that call and that was a real catalyst in my life for like, holy crap, man, I can, I can add a lot of value to people's lives that who for a long time I thought wouldn't be able to add any value. I wouldn't get any value. And that's a real powerful thing for people to take home, I think. Absolutely. You just nailed that. I love that you show up that way consistently. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's really, in, you're, you're, you're absolutely right about that. It's really important. Um, you just want to be intentional about it, I think. And you seem like you've done a great job of being intentional. Have you always been that way? I've always, you know, you say empath, and I, I think I have, maybe not to your level, or maybe I am, I'm not sure, but I, I've, I've always been curious about people. I've always wanted to help alleviate people from being in pain. And, and unfortunately, for a long period of that, when I was learning how to do certain stuff, I might have come across evangelical and was giving people help when they didn't want it, especially people like my father. And I've learned that lesson the hard way. Oh, gosh, that's so good. One of my favorite quotes is, um, the only thing freely given and never taken is unsolicited advice or unsolicited help. Like, you know, like people with um, opinions who, like do-gooders, we love them. We love their hearts. But they often go around the world just bothering people. Like, it's not help <laughs> if the person doesn't want it. I don't care what it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. We want it, right? So that is true. And the other point you make, which is just so good, it's hard to appreciate when you're going through stuff. But, you know, um, it's hard to have a rags to riches story without having had rags at some point in time. It's hard to be a healing presence in the world if you haven't been in great need of healing, right? I mean, it's hard. I don't, it's a hard truth to share, but it's true. It's like maybe a better way to reframe it is that your greatest purpose is hidden in your greatest pain or your greatest problems. That was the case for me. I'm a happiness coach only because I struggled with happiness for so long. I never imagined that I would, first of all, ever be happy. Second of all, that I would ever become a happiness coach. And third of all, that it was the unhappiness that would lead me to finally be of real service and value to other people, right? And that being said, I can't go around imposing that on other people. You know, it's better to let people come to me, you know, which is hard because it's like, you know, you could solve that. It's like, I know where the button is you're trying to reach. Just push it. Just do the, just push the button. It's an easy button. Just, it's like, no. They just, they're just, no, no, Rob, I'm going to go around and do a couple more laps around this building while my life and my, House is on fire, kind of thing. So you're right about that. It's um it's a challenge, um, and that's why again it's so important to recognize at the end of the day that even to not judge by appearances, even though someone seems or it looks like they are really suffering and they they need your help, um, you can check in and ask them. But whatever we do, we don't want to insert ourselves into their experience without their consent. Yeah, amen, brother. And then and then 
then just when you've just got gotten and stopped being a busybody, you get a text message from your auntie who's in her 60s, who lives back in Australia a couple of days ago, saying, Laban, thank you for introducing me to this other lady, uh, Tracy, who's a health coach. Um, my blood work just came back and I've reversed my type 2 diabetes, right? And the immediate thought I got was like, see, Dad, I told you so. <laughs> yes, yes. Wrong, wrong. Yes. Well, see, that's the thing too. Oh, gosh, I love that, which is like it's that single-mindedness about it too. It's like it's, it's so easy to let the appearances, the conditions, circumstances dictate how you feel or what you believe, right? So this is the other side of confirmation. But it's like there's pros and cons to everything. So when you're crystal clear in the way that you are, that something has worked for you in the way that it has, then you know with unwavering, unshakable conviction that it works. And if you can still stay rooted in that, no matter what is going around on around you, then the people that need or are ready or most receptive to the help, get the help. And then they get the results that they're ultimately after, right? It's the same thing with my work. It's like, and that doesn't necessarily mean that my path is always the right path for everyone. I'll tell people that from the beginning, like trust your own intuition. Don't trust mine, you know, but like you, for you to get those kinds of results is incredible. And often for me, it also comes when I've surrendered the results, but I'm maintaining my conviction, uh, sort of connection or alignment or agreement with source or God or whatever it is. I call that all knowing source within me that has no problems and therefore needs no solutions that does never experience illness and therefore needs no healing kind of thing. Yeah. And I just realized, as you were saying that the, the, the catalyst was probably her observing me leading by example, rather than me telling what to do. Um, she's, she's witnessed my journey and she's one of my biggest supporters. So yeah, I'm very blessed. Oh, you can show people better than we can tell them. And you're right. That's oh, so much wisdom packed in this. I'm gonna have to like, listen to this a couple more times, honestly, because <laughs> I hear everything you said multiple times, but it's like, this is why, you know, and I hope people can receive and hear my heart here. Lighthouses are often more helpful than churches because they just stand there shining and they stand there shining regardless of what's going on around them. They don't go out trying to convert and change people without their asking or without their sort of receptivity. Right. So you're absolutely right about that. It's just, um, it's a critical point that you make there. Um, yeah. So good. Oh, so much I want to unpack there, but we'll leave it, leave it alone. I think we're going to have to get you back on Rob. And I think, uh, I'm curious to know a couple of things. What have you got going on bubbling away? That's, that's worthwhile sharing with our audience today. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, so second book, Love from the Inside Out is out now. It's available everywhere great books are sold. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Target, all the places. Um, it's a great to- book. It's a great book, by the way. Fantastic book. I appreciate that, um, you saying that, my friend. And coming from you, the highest compliment is the highest compliment. Um, I will also say, um, so we're lining up some events. Um, a lot of them will be virtual. Some of them will be in person, uh, happily. Happy about that. Um, lots of workshops coming out as well um, this summer, probably late summer. And then working on a couple of media projects and what else? Those are the major things for now. Really mostly focus on um, the book release and the media and the events surrounding the book. Um, yeah. And are you still able to take on the odd client here and there for the coaching that you do? Yes. I mean, I have um, I have like a, was it? I have about an eight or nine month waiting list. That being said, um, you know, I am increasingly trying to make available options and opportunities for folks to participate in coaching, but maybe in a group setting 
right? I think that often makes more sense. I get why people want the one-on-one. They want to keep it, particularly the high-profile people or people with very sensitive topics. They want to keep it private, understood. understood. Um, but that is extraordinarily time and energy consuming. And I want to reach as many people as humanly possible in the deepest possible way. Um, so that means I've you know, got to continue to scale. Um, so I do. I, I occasionally make exceptions with that waiting list if there's um, a really compelling reason. Um, but yes, I still do occasionally take on clients. So please reach out. Um, they can hit me through my website. Um, it's uh, coachrobmack.com. Um, yeah. And so we'll find a way, even if it's not me, I promise I'll get folks in touch with somebody who can do a knock up job at solving whatever problem they're facing. Yeah. There's something to be said about like one-on-one coaching in anything, you know, you've, you've been an active sportsman for a long time and played a lot of different sports from what I read about. And there is no substitute for someone that's in great and, and who's willing to invest in themselves. And because the more they pay, the more they pay attention. And sometimes we just need that extra boost, right? So get in touch with Rob, coachrobmac.com. That's right. That's right. And that was a tweetable, by the way. The more they pay, the more they pay attention. Isn't that the truth? Like I've done that myself. I've noticed, you know, when I got the real cheap beat up car, oh, whatever, I just park it anywhere. You know, I got the more expensive one. Then I got the really expensive one. I'm like, okay, washing it every day. I shine it every day. I'm like taking care of it meticulously. Don't want it to go wrong. I show up for it every day. So same thing is true, both in our relationships, but also um, in in our professional relationships, not just our personal ones. And for any of my uh, other podcasters out there, that are looking to bring on amazing guests. I'm just, this is the first time I've ever said this actually, but this is a great, great initiative. I've got lots of friends who have great podcasts. Uh, feel free to connect with me. And uh, if it aligns, I can connect you guys, you guys together happily. Love that. That goes both ways, by the way, truly. Like, awesome. Rob, do you have any concluding thoughts for our audience today? Oh, I just say, um, you know, remember that your happiness is your gift to the world. You know, you deserve your own love, attention, and affection as much as anybody else in the world. Um, so do what makes you happy. If it doesn't turn out well, you get a second shot. You can do it again, right? Um, that's the most important thing from that perspective. And then the most important thing from my personal perspective is, brother, I love and appreciate you, man. Like you just have made my day, my week, my weekend in a way that only you could. I got shivers the entire, entire conversation. And that is not an uncommon experience with you. I'm just so grateful and honored that you would invite me in the conversation and that you're doing what you're doing, man. You're like a true inspiration. And uh, I can't wait to see you in person, man, for real. Oh, man. I, well, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I will graciously accept and receive that wonderful compliment. And, and without sounding cliche, it really does go both ways. It's just an honor to be in your presence. And, and I know people listening to this will get unbelievable value. So thank you for coming on today, ladies and gentlemen. Robert Mack. I got superpowers, superpowers. Working seven days a week and 24 hours. Yup, I got the business saying this boy sure is up to something. Why don't you come and listen? Just don't hit the power button. They say I'm crazy when I say I got the superpowers. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training where I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. 
and not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.